Well, gang, great to be together. If you are a visitor guest, my name is Tom, and it's just a privilege to have you here with us. There's just all sorts of good news happening tonight. Just a little update for you before we jump into our teaching. Many of you will know we've been praying for Ryan Boyd, Julie McGowan Boyd, and Titus Boyd's adopted son who's gone through a bone marrow transplant and got a text today that he was released from the hospital today. So that's really awesome. Yep. And I got to be honest, you know, kind of mid-December, I got a text that said, hey, you better you better get down there. Um, it's not looking great. And to see the turnaround is really quite remarkable. And so continue praying for him, um, you know, that that he would continue to flourish. And we're praying for Titus and uh, Julia as well. And then Joffrey, uh, after a little bit of a, a break to just kind of regain some rest, uh, Joffrey, their other uh, child, will be going through the same uh, procedure. So we're praying for Joffrey as well. Well, we are in the last of the first messages. So how's that for irony for you, right? Years ago, there was an old pioneer cookbook that included an old recipe for rabbit stew, and it started out with this first step. First, go outside and catch the rabbit. I just thought that was great. That writer knew how to remind us to put first things first, to do first what matters most. Sometimes we can take for granted that the important things will just kind of fit into our life eventually somewhere, somehow. But the reality that most of us experience is that we can do first what is most urgent, but not necessarily what is most important. So we've been looking at in this first new year of this uh, first month of this new year, things that God's word tells us that he wants us to place first. In week one, we looked at giving to God the first moments of our day, the first day of the week and the first month of the year, in a sense, giving God the first of your time. Last week, we saw that God calls us to make prayer our first response, not our last resort. So we pray first before we make any plans, before we do anything, we pray first. And this week, we're going to conclude by seeing what God has to say to us about something he calls our first fruits. We're going to consider that, but before we do, let's pray. So God, we thank you for your goodness and your message. We thank you that you are a God who loved us first. And so now we hear the invitation to make you our first love, to seek first your kingdom. Help us do that in every area of our life. Lord, I pray for any who are here who don't know you that they might take a step closer, or maybe even today they might cross the line of faith. And God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab your bulletin that you got on the way in. If you flip it open to this little center section, you'll see the scriptures that are there as well as the teaching notes that you can um, fill it out throughout our time together as we go. Now, I want to give you a heads up that if you are here and you are not a follower of Jesus, this message really isn't for you. You're going to get kind of an insider's look at how a family works. It might actually give you the the conviction or the faith to want to be part of the family, right? And so this message kind of isn't really for you, uh, so you're off the hook, but I'm hoping you'll learn something. For those of you that say, but I am a follower of Jesus... This message is specifically for you. Let me set the scene for us today out of the book of Exodus. The Israelites end up in Egypt. They don't start out as slaves, but they end up as slaves. 430 years that they're in Egypt, and they end up as slaves to Pharaoh. 
And in the first 12 chapters of the book of Exodus, it tells us that God heard the prayers of His people, His, His covenant community, and all that He did to set them free from Pharaoh through Moses and the many miracles that were performed. So we pick up the story now in chapter 13. It is now the first day of their freedom. And here's what we read. Um, I'll give you the last verse of 12 and the first of 13. It says this, On that very day, meaning the very first day of their freedom, on the very day that the Lord brought the people out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt like an army, Then the Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both humans and animals, it is mine. And so what that means is the firstborn lamb belongs to God. The firstborn donkey belongs to God. The firstborn child belongs to God. Now, you might wonder, well, why would he say that the firstborn belongs to him? Well, if you know the story, you know that the final of the ten plagues, the one that really convinced Pharaoh to let them go, was that the angel of death went through and destroyed or killed the firstborn in all of Egypt. All the livestock, the firstborn, all the the children as well. In fact, the only way that the Israelites were able to not have that come to them was by taking a lamb, slaughtering it, putting the blood over their doorframe of their house. And that really was anticipating that God was going to give his firstborn son to be their covering. And so what God is saying, well, listen, because you're claiming that you're part of the covenant community, this new humanity that I'm building, I gave you my firstborn son. And now your first fruits, your first of your livestock or even your family is mine because my firstborn was given to you to save you goes on, and this is true not only with flocks and family, but with harvests and salary. God's people were told this a little later on in Exodus twenty three nineteen: The first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. So if, an, if a uh, farmer has an apple tree, and let's say it bears ten apples, right? If it bears ten apples, then he sets aside the first basket, or he would set aside, if it had ten apples, he would set aside the first apple, kind of think of it as the golden apple, he would set that aside as consecrated and holy to God. In fact, in Leviticus, it goes on and says, one-tenth of the produce of your land, whether grain from the field or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart as holy. So nine-tenths of whatever you bring in, whatever the farmer brought in, belonged to the farmer. It was common. But the first tenth, which is called a tithe, that word tithe, it just means tenth, it was holy. It was set apart to God. It was unique. It was set apart for a special purpose. God has given the first tenth to you, but it's not yours. It's His. And brings us to the first thing I want you to grab onto, which is this, that God wants you to honor God with the first fruits of your income. Our relationship with God is built on first, not last. He loved us first. He gave us his firstborn son, Jesus Christ. So now we are to make him our first love by loving him with our first, all of our first, but that includes the first fruits of our income. No crumbs, no leftovers. Now remember, God had commanded this on the day that he had delivered the people and set them free. 
He had just set them free, had just delivered them, had just set them free from Pharaoh. And whenever you set someone you love free, the last thing you want them to do is become enslaved again. He had just set them free from the fear of Pharaoh. And so now he doesn't want them to be enslaved by the fear of never having enough. It's the same with us. Our abundant and generous God has not created you to spend 80 or 90 or maybe 100 years on earth worrying every day of your life that you will not have enough. Trusting God with our first fruits of our income is His command to remind us that He is more than enough and He will provide as we trust Him. So, how are we doing on this? Well, if you look at the big study that came out, it came about a year ago, um, and it studied giving amongst American Christians. Now, here's how it defined American Christians. They didn't just ask you, are you a Christian? Because there'd be, you know, maybe 85, 90% of Americans would say they are. They said these two uh, questions. You needed to go to church at least twice a month. Right. So if you just go every once in a while, they didn't include you and you needed to say that faith was important or very important. So these people are people that said faith in Jesus is important or very important. And I go at least uh, twice a month to a weekly worship service. And here's what they discovered in this um, this this study that they did. There was good news and bad news. The good news is that some Christians are honoring God with their first fruits. The bad news is that it's only one out of four American Christians who do that, meaning three out of four of us do not. And you might think, well, you know, that's just because American Christians don't have any money. You know, if they had more money, they'd be more faithful. But that's not the case because that same study actually showed that American Christians earn $2.5 trillion a year. $2.5 trillion a year. In other words, if you gave them their own economy, they would be the fourth largest economy in the world behind only the United States, China, and Japan. And then you'd have American Christians who profess faith in Jesus Christ and go to church twice a week. $2.5 trillion. And yet half of us, meaning American Christians, give less than 2% of their income to a local church or other Christian nonprofits. So they included kind of any, any charitable giving that these people gave. So why do so many Christians disobey God in this area? God says, hey, give me the first fruits, the first 10%, and the other 90% is common for, for your usage. Why do so many disobey God in this area? Now, let me mention some common reasons I hear, and I'm hoping to kind of address them for you. For some of you, you have these objections. For some of you, you know others who have these objections. So let me just kind of give them to you, and then I'm going to try to remove them by giving you some thoughts on it to have the freedom that God wants us to take him at his word. One of the common objection, uh, objections I hear is this. People will sometimes say, you know, I heard one time about a church that misused funds. I, I, I heard, you know, there was a church one time and my grandma went and whatever. And, and she had a cousin who had a friend who had a sister, who had an aunt, who had a coworker who had a church one time and they misused funds. Now, listen, I want to tell you that I agree and I hate that. If you have ever experienced giving back to God through a church that has misused funds, I am sorry. And I want you to hear me say that. Here's what I would say to you. Don't ever give to that church again. That's what I would say to you. But that doesn't mean 
that you never give back to God ever again because of one local church who had some experience. One of the things you need to understand is never let their disobedience justify your disobedience. You know, I raised children and I got three kids and I'll say to my, you know, if your if your buddy jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? You know, I mean, we kind of it's a classic line. Never let their disobedience justify your disobedience. We would not let this kind of thinking exist in other areas. Imagine if somebody said, well, listen, I heard one time there was a guy who was a jerk. And so all guys are jerks. And so I want to stay away from all guys. Well, of course, you could do that, but that's not necessarily going to be a winning combination for your life. Or maybe you're a guy and you're like, you know, I heard one time about, uh, you know, a buddy of mine had a friend who had a sister or brother cousin who had a buddy who took a girl out on a date and they had a bad date. So I don't want to go on any dates because they had a bad date. So I I don't want to have a bad date. If you think like that, you're going to miss out on something good because you once heard about something bad. And God doesn't want you to miss out on something good because you once heard about something bad. Now, let me boil it down for Christian Assembly. Here at Christian Assembly, we have multiple points of accountability. No one is ever alone with the giving by themselves. All of our checks over a certain amount require double signatures for those checks to be approved. Our staff have tight limits on the church credit cards. And every penny that is given is only spent by the approval of the unanimous approval of our CA Council, which is made up by non-staff members. I'm not even one of the signatories on our checks. There's all sorts of checks and balances in place in our community. Why? Because we're called to be great stewards. And we're not only stewarding the giving that comes back to God through Christian assembly, we're really stewarding the trust of the people who give back to God through Christian assembly. And so I wanted to let you know those things. The second kind of objection I hear sometimes is this. I think the church talks too much about money. Have you ever heard that one? Maybe you've said it. You know, I've heard it uh, said to me a number of times. And usually when they say, I think the church talks too much about money, what they're saying is, I think the pastors talk too much about money. That's kind of the stand-in there. And uh, let me give you a little kind of flow for us. Here at CA, we teach on giving about one time a year. Last time I taught on giving was February of 2017. So we teach on about once a year. But Jesus taught on money, possessions, and giving more than heaven and hell combined. So if anything, we might be teaching on it too little compared to what Jesus did. I had somebody come to me and they said, hey, my, my husband is a great guy, but, you know, I'm trying to get him to come to CA. But he's like, hey, I just think the church talks about money too much. And and so I said uh, to her, I was, you know, just she said, how do I respond to that? And I said, what's he do for a living? She said, well, he's a plumber. I said, all right, tell him this. Is he own his own business? Yeah, it's his own thing. OK, tell him to anytime anybody calls and they want plumbing done, tell him to drive to their house, do all the plumbing for free. And then when he's leaving, just pay me whatever you think. Pay me whatever you think. Well, what if they don't pay him anything at all? Well, it doesn't matter. And then the next time they call and say, hey, I got a clogged uh, drain, just show up and do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. And my point is this, is that is really the economic model of the church. The economic model of the church is we're just going to give everything away, all of the services, all of the teaching, all the pastoral counseling, all the kids' church, all the recovery. We're just going to do it all for free. And you give whatever you give. And we don't even, I don't even know what any of you give. And when somebody says to me, well, I just think the church talks too much about money. My answer back to that is come back to me when you're willing to use the economic model of the church because no other organization on the planet is willing to do that. 
No other organization is willing to do that. At no point in our 111-year history of this church have we ever said, hey, great, you came, you're checking your kids in for Kids Church. Real quick, let me check your giving records to see if we can welcome your child tonight. We've never done that. We've never said, oh, hey, your, your marriage is in trouble. Well, real quick, let me just see. Do you have, are you on record with giving? We've never done that in 111 years. And we're not planning on starting to do that at any point in time. And so, yes, we will teach on it uh, about once a year or so because Jesus taught on it so regularly. The third thing I hear, and you typically hear this from people who maybe grew up around a church a little bit, they'll say, oh, okay, honoring God with your first fruits, that's an Old Testament thing, not a New Testament thing. Nope, that's not actually true. If you read the New Testament, what you discover is that Jesus actually affirmed that we should tithe. It's actually a throwaway line. He's like, yes, you should tithe and go on to the greater things of justice and mercy as well. Almost as if he's saying, if you can't figure out how to give God what is God's, how can I even move you forward to talk about justice and mercy as well? Plus, that kind of thinking misunderstands the very nature of grace. Oh, that's an Old Testament thing. It's not a New Testament thing. God's grace does not save us from obeying. It saves us so that we can obey and experience the goodness of doing what God intended. Nowhere in Jesus' teaching at anywhere in the New Testament does His teaching lower the expectation of the, the Old Covenant. At no point does grace lead to less obedience than the law. It leads to greater obedience from the heart. So in the Old Testament, it said, well, don't have an affair. But then when you get to the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus, he's like, hey, uh, not only don't have an affair, don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart. Now, I'll just be real honest with you. It's a lot easier to not have an affair to to just kind of, okay, I didn't have an affair. But if we go around the room and say, have you ever looked at somebody with lust in your heart? There's going to be a lot of people who say, well, I never had an affair, but I have done that. See, grace actually leads in many ways to an accelerated obedience, not a depreciated obedience. In fact, every example of giving in the New Testament is over 10%. So let's get to the heart of the matter. Why don't more American Christians obey God by honoring him with their first fruits? Here's my guess. For most of us, it's just fear. I think that's what it is. I think it's just fear. Fear that we can't just take God at his word. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says it this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first, fruit of, first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, if we simply took God at his word and trusted him, do you see how easy it would be to honor God with the first fruits? Because it's basically saying if you honor God, then it includes the promise that our barns will have more than enough. Which brings me to this point. If we simply take God at His Word, His Word promises He will take care of us. If we really believe that God is so generous that He will fill our barns and vats as a result of us obeying Him first in our finances, then it's easy to obey His Word. Not only is it easy to obey, but it frees us up from the fear of the future of not having enough. Jesus affirmed the same thing. Honor God and you will receive back not only what you give, but much more. In fact, this is what he said. He said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now that sounds great, but does that actually happen in real life? Let me give you a lifetime example that involves you if you've been part of Christian Assembly and if you've given it all in the last year. 
In November 2016, Julie McGowan Boyd shares with Mark and I in our office the plans to expand the hospice care uh, to a second location with the total need to complete the first phase of the project being $1.2 million. I asked her, Julie, how much money do you want CA to give to that? She said, I don't have a number in mind. I'll leave it up to you and up to the Lord in the way that Julie says those things. And so... As we pray, uh, God, um, you know, Julie leaves and we have a week or two to think about it. Um, so praying, the Lord leads us to Proverbs nineteen seventeen says this. If you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord and he will repay you for what you have done. In other words, if we give to the poorest of the poor, God's going to re- we're lending to the Lord. He's going to pay us for what we've done. So as I hear God's word. I remember I was up in Switzer's Canyon, if you know where that is, up the two, up in Switzer's Canyon, whenever I felt the Lord spoke that word to me, I felt the Spirit say to me, what would you advise CA give if you took me at my word? Well, the answer was why I would advise that we give $1.2 million. That's what I would advise. So I take it to the CA council, to our elders. It's unanimously approved to give the $1.2 million in early December 2016. That gift, the way we structured it, inspired another $600,000 given by other churches who were inspired by our generosity. The project is on target to be completed by the fall of 2018. It will serve thousands of people with health care and hospice issues um, as as, uh, outpatients, but also there will be many, many that will be served um, inpatient as well. Now, this is where it gets even more interesting because you all were involved in this uh, as well. So this week, I calculated our 2016 giving average every weekend up to the point of that decision. There were 48 weekends up to the point of that decision when we made that decision. And I used it as a baseline. That night, uh, December 5th, 2016, we decided to give $1.2 million. What has happened since the night of the decision until now? Here's what's happened. Our giving has jumped up $1.7 million over our average up to the point of that decision. That's what's happened. Isn't that amazing? Up to that point, our average giving was $125,000 a weekend. And from that point until now, our average went from one twenty-five dollars to one fifty-eight dollars a weekend. $158,000 a weekend is being given. And the hinge point, the pivot point, was that decision. Jesus says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. In fact, it will be pressed down to make room for more flowing over into your lap. You were part of that. We're part of that. We saw that happen. We just saw that happen. Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, but that includes two Decembers, which are big giving months. So let me throw out December 2016. And if you just look at the giving from the point of that decision, and we just look at the the, uh, average giving in 2017, what we see is that actually it still went up 1.4 million, which is more than what we gave that night whenever we made that decision. You see, you are part of seeing God's word made good on what he said. He said, if you do this, if you give it, I'm taking it on and I will repay you for what you have done. And let's not forget, this is not just an economics lesson. There is now a hospice center being built for the least of these in Jesus' name that otherwise maybe wouldn't have been built except for what God did through His Word and through this community called Christian Assembly. As I was thinking about it, we stand as a church in a golden time in our history in our generosity before Jesus Christ. God's Word 
is proven true in everyday life if we're just willing to take His Word and say, okay, I'm going to believe it. Brings me to this teaching point. When we honor God with our first fruits, God blesses the rest. You want God to bless your finances in 2018? Give Him the first 10%, the first fruit of your income. People always ask me whenever I teach on this, well, how do I know if I should give them 10% of my gross income or my net income, pre-tax or post-tax? How do I know? And here's the answer. Do you want them to bless your gross income or do you want them to bless your net income? Because really what's behind that is like, what's the minimum I have to do in order to be counted as faithful and obedience in this area? Some of us, we don't obey because we're afraid, but others of us, we don't obey because we get distracted in life. In other words, what we can do is we do other things first with the finances that God has entrusted to us to manage before we give them back to God. So you have 10 apples and one of them's the golden apple. One of them is the apple that belongs to the Lord. But instead of you giving it first, you kind of just get involved in life and, uh, and you think, you know, I, I really, I deserve a nicer vacation and I didn't really budget for the nicer vacation, but I mean, I have in my mind, I could eat an apple really fast. Hey, it takes a while to chew the golden apple. You might choke on it if, you know, you might be all going to heaven tonight if you keep eating the golden apple. You think, I need a, a better vacation. I, you know, I've had a rough day at work. I, I, I didn't budget for it, but I, I'm going to eat out tonight. Talk amongst you. <laughs> I was going to say talk amongst yourselves while I finish this. Or maybe you think, you know, I, I need a brand new car. I deserve a brand new car. I don't want a used car. I didn't budget for a used car. but I mean for a brand new car, but I need a brand new car. And so I got to have the leather seats. I got to have uh, seat heaters. I live in the hottest part of the country, but I need hot seats. Nice vacations, new cars, <laughs> eating out. Listen, none of that is bad. But it's not to be first because it's not what matters most. It's not what matters most. And if the studies are right, three out of four of us are eating the golden apple that God has entrusted to us to give back to him. And three out of four of us, we eat the golden apple and we leave a, we just leave a core at the cross. I mean, we have all these other apples that he's given us. We, we just leave this core at the cross. And if that's you, today's the day God is calling you to stop eating what belongs to him and trust him to equip you to live within the other 90%. You might be saying, well, I can't do that. You don't understand my situation, my budget, my job, my da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, you're right, I don't. But God does, and you need help. And that's why we're launching again. Financial Peace University kicks off this Thursday 
on the 25th. You get the help you need to be a great steward that God calls us to, you to, uh, calls us to be. Budgeting or other biblical principles that will help you out. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, all that was based on American Christians, but how are we doing as a local church? Now, to be honest, I don't really know how we're doing because I don't know how, what anybody gives in this church other than my wife and I. But I guess... Some of us are doing well, and others of us are not doing as well. That would be my guess. That being said, there is some really great news to report to you this weekend from this past year. So I'm going to run you through the shortest church budget um, meeting in history. In 2016, our general giving, hopefully it'll come up, was $6,388,556. That was 2016, okay? Our general giving, we just got this all like kind of finalized and received in and everything. And our general giving in 2017 was about 7.306,781. That's up $918,225. It is up 14.3% from a year ago. That's amazing. And we can applaud God for his graciousness and generosity. What about our kingdom giving? If you're part of the church, you know that we do a general and then we do once a month a kingdom giving. In 2016, our uh, kingdom giving was 584,232. And in 2017, our kingdom giving went up to 631,421. And so it went up $47,189, which is an increase of 8.1%, which is also quite amazing. And so we can thank God for his generosity of that as well. Now, for that to be happening, here's what that means. It means many of you are honoring God with your first fruits. And I, if that's you, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep it up. Keep doing that. Maybe others of you, I know, you took fresh steps of obedience in 2017 by honoring God with your first fruits. We had over 300 of you sign up to do the Money Back Tithe Challenge. It showed up in this year's giving. And some of you told me, you said, listen, okay, I'm going to step out. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to honor God with my finances. And you are taking God at His word by honoring God with your first fruits. And I want to say, way to go. Keep it up. But if we are like the study done on American Christians, it means that there are many among us who are not yet honoring God with our first fruits. You're living still in the fear of enslavement, only this time it's not to Pharaoh, it's to the fear that you're not going to have enough. And it is time for you to find the faith to take God at His word. I'm always shocked at people that are trusting God to provide for their eternal salvation, but they're not certain He can provide for lunch next week. See what he will do this year if you will honor him first with your first fruits. For you, the action step might be to confess this disobedience to God. Ask him to help you and share with a trusted believer to help encourage you to follow through in this area. And if you're thinking, oh, he's just doing that teaching because he wants CA to have more money, then give it somewhere else for six months. But ultimately, what I would say is this. If you don't want to give it back to God through this church and this is your home church, I don't understand why you would trust us with everything else, your kids, counseling, teaching, doctrine, everything else, but you're not going to trust us in that area that seems that seems a little strange to me so you got to say god i need help in this area for those of you who give but you give less than 10 percent, i want to encourage you to trust god to be enough this year to give you uh, give the full first fruit the full tithe of your income that he commands 
If you always tend to do so, sometimes people just get distracted. I meant to, I just didn't get around to it. If you're a Christian who calls CA home, then your action step maybe might be to automate it. Go to our website at cachurch.com and and just say, okay, I'm going to monthly give this amount. I'm going to automate that. I'm going to make that happen. There are very few areas in our life with God where we can do automated obedience. (laughs) This is one of the areas if you get distracted. Jesus said it this way, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's not that money is evil. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's that it needs to stay in its proper place as your servant, not as your master, as a tool, not as a drug in your life. Giving God our first fruits is a way to say to our money, I have a master and it's not you. I have a savior and it's not you. I cannot save my way to salvation. I have a first love in my life and it's not you. It's also a way to say to God, I'm counting on you and I'm taking you at your word. That my life is as safe and as secure as it possibly could be as I obey your word. Not only am I safe as I trust your word, but I get the joy of seeing how my giving is making a difference in our church community, in our neighborhood, in our city, and all around the world as we do this together. I want to close out the first series with a photo that I thought was fascinating. I think it captures the series well. In the Berlin Art Gallery is a fascinating painting by a German painter. His name is Adolf Menzel, and it's entitled Frederick the Great Addresses His Generals. So you can see it there. It's only partially finished. And what's interesting is what is left out. He intended to show the king, Frederick the Great, speaking with some of his generals. Menzel painted the background and he painted the generals and he assumed he had forever. So he left the king out until last. He actually put an outline and did some charcoal outline of where the king would go, but he died prior to finishing it. Menzel failed to put into the picture the one person who mattered most in the picture. Having left him till last, he was left without having him in the picture at all. So we are left with a painting about a king with no king in the painting. Menzel assumed he had forever to do first what mattered most, but he didn't, and neither do we. C.S. Lewis once observed and said this, With God, put first things first, and second things are thrown in. Put second things first, and you lose both first and second things. So I want us to jump into 2018 doing first what matters most. The first moments of the day, the first day of the week, the first month of the year by praying first and by honoring God first with the first fruits of our income. Will you pray with me? God, may we be a church that seeks first your kingdom. For those of you who do honor God with your first fruits first, well done. Continue to do so. He will be faithful to provide. May you experience his abundant generosity. For those of you who are afraid, decide now to take God at his word. See what he does when you honor him first. You might think, does that really work? Well, you have a living example if you've been part of this church for the last year of how God made good on his word to us through what happened with the living room. 
For those of you who always intend to but get distracted, don't wait. Put the one person who matters most in your picture first in every area of your life. But overall, what I want you to hear, Christian Assembly, is thank you and well done. I could not be more proud of the ground that we took together. I could not be more proud that probably by the fall of 2018, I'll be on a plane flying to Africa to represent us at the opening of the second location of the living room. And for generations and generations to come, the least of these will receive great health care in Jesus' name because we took God at His word. (laughs) 